0: I feel that's why the creators, you know, David Simon, Ed Burns, Nina Noble, George Pelicanos, I think that's why they kind of like, it was almost like a like paying homage to us, you know, in the beginning, the first season. And now you got the fourth season. You got four more guys, you know, that, they, they gotta experience life on the streets in Baltimore. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to this episode of The Wire Stripped. I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And this is the podcast where we go through each episode of The Wire episode by episode. I don't know why I said episode so many times in one sentence uh, someone someone killed. This
2: me. is our episode about the episode <laughs> of The Wire. And Kobe's having an episode it seems like. I'm
1: having an episode.
2: Uh, <laughs> so sorry, guys. this episode of The Wire. It's <laughs> called uh Back Burners. It's episode 7 of the Now I'm just hearing episode again and again and again. Um Backburners is the name of the uh, episodic bit of television that we that we watched. Um, Kobe, tell them uh, save me from myself here, and tell tell the nice listeners how they can contact us. Yeah, so guys, we'd love to hear from you. We can contact us a few different ways. Uh, first of all, we are
1: on social media, typically on Twitter and Instagram, both at the Wirestripped. And also, if you want to send us a message, you can send us a burner. We'll give you some more details on that. But you can find us uh, by email at burner at strips.com
2: Right, uh, on with our chat about backburners.
1: Let's do it. When you walk through the garden You gotta watch
3: your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track
4: When you walk with Jesus He's going to save your soul Just got to keep the
3: devil Way down in the hole
2: He got the fire and the
5: fury
1: Okay, guys, so we are being driven around West Baltimore by Baltimore's Finest. Um yeah, we're in a ride-along. Yeah. That's why we're in a
2: car. We exactly. are actually recording this in a car. We're
1: actually in a car. Let me just start the engine.
2: There we go, see? Proof. Hold on. No, not so much. See. Yeah. Good engine noises. Good. This yeah. is not
1: just uh, producer Tom with his sound effects. This is actual in mic yeah. noise. The, the length we
2: go to to immerse ourselves in this <laughs> show. <laughs> we saw them in cars in this show. We thought we should record in a car. So let's uh, let's kick let's kick off uh, in prison with the cold open. Well, right? why not? Yeah. Yeah. So we see um, Omar's pals donny andrews and friend um, um arriving the real omar The real they, Omar. thank you for unveiling that secret on no me problems. last week they um they come in with a lot of reading material
1: they come with the right. yellow pages do you have the yellow yeah. pages in the, in the states the white pages the, the yellow pages don't exist anymore because people have the internet yeah but um yeah
2: let the, us know at the wire script <laughs> on, on twitter do you have the yellow pages america um, and uh, yeah, a lot of big, a lot of big books, a lot of reading material. Like mm-hmm. It's boring in prison. You need a, l- you need do. a lot of reading, um, and you also need to strap them around your body so you don't get stabbed. So you don't get shivved. It's yeah. a prison. That's what we call it. Shivving. Sorry, shivving. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, <laughs> Which,
1: as a sideline, uh, as we're both fans of Succession here, is one of the most fun things about Succession is Siobhan's name. Monroy is her. She's a a blunt. She's
2: she's a blunt, sharp (laughs) instrument used to to gut people. Um, so, uh, pretty awesome little opening. It is. Yeah, you don't get a lot of action in the wire. This Uh, was an action scene.
1: This was an action scene, and it's 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 fucking horrible, actually, isn't it? It, He goes into they go into the canteen. Some guy steps up um, in front of him in the queue, produces a shiv, and Omar bin Omar, you know, turns it on on the other guy. And sticks the yeah. shiv between his legs. Doesn't go for the kill. No.
2: Because I think it's a smart move because he doesn't want any retaliation. And he just wants to... Live his life. Message. Yeah. Also, he doesn't want to actually get any more charge. <laughs> actually get a murder charge. Which is fair enough. When he's in for a fake one. Um, but yeah, and then he, they uh, they hide and say, don't, uh, don't tell anyone.
1: Don't tell anyone. To well, the room. I thought the way where he placed the shiv was particularly painful like between the guy's legs. Oh yeah. Stab it in. Stab it in there what, and up and. He
2: knows what he's doing. Ugh. Ah! And then he makes a call. He gets a gets his phone call. P- calls in the bunk. Well, why wouldn't you? I'd call the bunk. I call, I want to call I him right in now.
1: Prison. Bunk, where are you? Can you help us out? <laughs>
2: <laughs> the um so this is a great little callback here where Omar pulls out his um his get out of jail free card that he got from it's uh, testifying against Bird. <laughs> all those years ago
1: but yeah but i mean before he pulls out the get out of jail free well he does that and bunk's like no <laughs> what are you talking about yeah. mate because he's
2: like i oh, know you didn't you i don't yeah. think you killed it was for a light felony my friend it
1: was exactly i think that's how monopoly works The get out of jail free card isn't for is <laughs>
2: that for um, first degree murder no it's not yeah it was
1: civilian but i'm not sure you can actually do that in monopoly so that kind of makes sense just white collar crime yeah. um yeah but bunk's like no don't be stupid but then and explains that I know you didn't kill this one person but you've killed others yeah and he's about to walk away but you know first of all Omar says man got a code and one of the best ways he said well, you know Tom insert that here because I'll never get the way Michael K. Williams delivers any of his lines because I'm just no good as an actor
6: but you're giving him a free walk right now don't wait you a man got to have a code
1: but then he steps up and says look if I didn't kill him, someone else did and they're the
2: ones walking around and Bunkin is like, uh, that's what gets God Bunk. damn it. <laughs> Bunk can't stare at an unsolved mystery in the case. <laughs> no. He's comfortable with leaving Omar Rotten Prison. Yep. But he's not comfortable with, an with having crime. someone get away with murder, li- no. literally.
1: And I think this is great because this is what drives uh, uh, Bunk for the next couple of episodes is this like, okay, you're right. It's not Omar. If it was Omar, fine, but I need to, I, I need to, God damn it! Solve the crime properly. Yeah,
2: he's a dog with a bone. And this he's, thing, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, he once he sees an injustice, he doesn't
1: <laughs> shy away from it. Me. Doesn't shy away from it. Yeah. And this, I mean, to the detriment of every—not to the detriment of him, but to the detriment of the of his other colleagues when he's when he's trying to turn a murder that's in the black, pull it back to red. Everyone's pissed off at him. Yeah, which is like, it's so counterintuitive. So like, I know. There's a dead person and we've got a name next to it. And, you know, if we leave it there, it'll be fine. But at the same time, it's not right. And everyone else is like, fuck it, man. Let's just go home.
2: Let's just go have a drink. It's fine. But we're seeing, you know, we're seeing the ground level effect of the ComStat.
1: Uh, yeah, or right, the Duke of the, stats. And the stats. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Right.
2: That's that's basically it because they're all under intense pressure mm. to drop the crime rate. Yep. they're all under intense pressure to reduce the the homicide rate to solve the murders that are coming in because they it looks bad to have unsolved ones on the wall. So yeah, it is. It's counterintuitive when all their objectives and targets are based around one thing, and they it's it's easy and it and tempting to find yeah. the easy solution. And yeah. they have a solution. They have a clear. They have a witness who said Omar. Yeah. There you go. Done. <laughs> Dead Mystery person. Soft. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. And bunk. Uh, uh, such a good guy.
2: <laughs> so bunk is not popular. For no. Doing. Everyone hates the bunk. The right business.
1: thing. We we love the bunk. People on homicide hate the bunk. Just to just to clarify. <laughs>
7: <laughs> My wife met me on the porch in Baltimore, and her eyes were really wide, and she was like doing shoulder and head, nodding her head.
2: You're listening, of course, to the voice of Mister Freeman himself. This is Clark Peters. <laughs>
7: you know, she wasn't talking. She was, but she was signaling me that signaling me that something was going on in the house. And when I walked in around my dining table, there was little Mel. There was. <laughs> 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 there was Donny. Um, there was six. OGs i mean the, the real OGs out of that conversation came uh they, there was a place called the Royal Theater um which was on which was one of the black theater which was the black theater uh coming through on the east coast where stax would have like their shows and motown would have their shows and all, the black comedians you know would would move through it was like the Chitlin circuit but uh one guy said um he said, "Yeah, every time um, Smokey Robinson came through here, we make sure he has he left with a suit, whether it fit him or not. <laughs> you know, and you thinking like you sold the four tops, the Temptations, <laughs> the Miracles, all their clothes, whether it fit them or not, simply because you could. You know, um, but that's you know that's that's how people survived. You know." You know, so um, these guys turning their lives around. I think, I think that you know that that if you're not going down, you know, if you're not in in the in the grave, then at some point in time you realize that yes, you have to. You got to find another way. You know, and um, like little
8: Mel was was a taxi driver, and th- and that's one thing that David Simon also talked a lot about to me, not just for the BBC story, but um, over the years about how, you know, he was writing people. When he was writing characters in The Wire, he often was write, was thinking about specific people.
2: This is Eric Deggins, He's the TV critic at NPR.
8: He never worried about writing a stereotype or writing something that was inauthentic because he was writing about people that he had encountered as a police reporter working over 10 years, working uh, for the Baltimore Sun. Um, and I think that's why most of the characters feel authentic um, because you can tell he's not just... He's not just making them up, but, but it is interesting to look at the cast of the wire and see, you know, British actors, um, local actors, um, actors who were not on Hollywood's radar screen and just needed a showcase to show what they could do. Like that was 90% of the cast (laughs) where those, was that mix of, uh, performers. And then you had a couple of people like Amy Ryan who kind of snuck in there, uh, who, uh, uh, who were traditionally successful in Hollywood, but uh, but managed to to be down with the wire too. We
9: supported Ed Burns and David Simon from the beginning only because they actually worked the streets of Baltimore.
2: You're listening to Armando Cadigan Jr. He's the actor that played Bubbles' tormentor.
9: Like he had, like you said, like everybody on the show—not everybody, but the majority on the show—like I said, they were real people. So these characters, they knew Ed, they knew David, they like. They were just strangers. They just happened to put a show together and say, Oh, you arrested me back in 1989. Like you, you, you try to get me locked. You know what I mean? So these are these are this is the re- the relationship is real. The friendships are real. The, the, the hate, the love is real. And then they go back to the same thing that they arrested, they put them in the show as a different character, as a pastor, as a deacon, right? So now they're feeding their families. They're giving you an opportunity. So We didn't really. We we wasn't really too concerned about who was writing, as long as it was authentic and it was real, and it was and it and it felt real to us. And 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 again, our split wasn't our split wasn't uh, heavy on writing. Like it, it was good writing, but we were able to do a lot of improv to the script. You know what I'm saying? That helped with the audience you know what i'm saying people knew like those oh, these motherfuckers is from the city like these like these if these people look like us you know what i mean so it i always i always say it was a it's all it was super polished it was like a reality show but like super scripted super polished in a way with like yo i know all these people you know what i mean like we all kind of knew each
1: other um and I, I mean just to round this off in homicide we see, um, on the other side, Freeman giving Greg some advice about the Braddock case and the witness, which has is, which is initially caused some conspiracy, some controversy, I should say. Um, and Freeman just says, yeah, just, you know, go and ask for a meeting. And in the meeting, we have Morris Levy. And mm, yeah, great to see him again. It's always great to see him. It's, yeah, you know we talked previously about shit eating grin <laughs> with, with with Clay. <laughs> yeah. Levy's got a fantastic He's one. Got it. They're very alike. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and they, they you know they, have, they agree to have a, a polygraph test.
2: Yeah, this is interesting. The whole polygraph thing, mm. isn't it? Because we kind of get the, you know, Levy is just basically doing it. For fun, yeah, he
1: doesn't. He, he knows the game. He yeah. doesn't give a shit. He's
2: not worried. <laughs> um The and and he calls it correctly when Kima comes back from the hall. Yeah, and uh that is basically told. It could go. We could swing this either way. And you she is it. pissed. Yeah, she's like, this is what is the fucking point of this, this thing. Um, this is fair enough. Well, and it's kind of well, we learn that it's just for leverage, right? So basically, you you scare the the person under the test.
1: And I'd like to know more about it because I. Uh, obviously, we, as as avid TV viewers, the polygraph test is either don't worry about the polygraph test. You can break it. You know, you you'll be fine. You just know how to rule it. To some cases, where I know it's been used categorically as like a defining piece of evidence. So I yeah. don't know. I don't know where in the scale this is. Uh, but I think I I can imagine that this case is this situation is something that they've used leverage, as you say. They they've, they can make it. They can swing it either way they want to.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Let me guess,
7: they're out in the hall and Swatowski is telling them that he can make it go any way they want.
10: If you think that's how we play it, then why let you climb? Because,
7: even though there's not much case left now that your witness is dead, I don't need to expose them to a federal charge if I can avoid it. And because, even if Swatowski bends it for our ears, he's let you know that Mr. Wardell here did not blow the box.
1: The reason I went back to there, Dave, is because we bring back Eileen Nathan, who's the one that gave bunk. And Omar, the get out jail free oh, card.
2: Yeah, there's a nice little transition between the it two is. cases here, yeah. isn't it? Because he he grabs her on the way out. Then, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she basically says what Bunk says, like that's a you joking? You having a laugh? That's murder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get out of town, man. Um, so Bunk kind of says, okay, but just move, move my boy out. He's in danger. You owe him that much. Yeah, which is fair enough. So she gets him to safety. She gets him to a different facility. Which is all we
1: want. Which is all we want. Yeah,
2: but I but I fear that he's got enemies all over every prison in the, in the country, would I, be my yeah, fear. Yeah. I,
1: I'd be very, yeah, he needs to go to a different state. <laughs> Where is, like, Pennsylvania, him, D.C. Exactly.
2: New York, you know, get, get, out, out of, get out of state. Get him out of Baltimore. Right, as you all know, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Stripped. but we now have another way you can help us out and the Ella Thompson Fund.
1: Yeah, so if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us um, to... Get a lot of the same benefits as a Patreon account, but it makes it easier if you want to help contribute to the lovely people at Ella Thompson Fund who, just to remind you, I'm sure we've said a few times this episode already, but
2: they help support underprivileged kids in Baltimore in the way that Cutty did in The Wire. Uh, Yeah, so you can get access to our episodes early. You can get access to our full uh, interviews uh, with the cast and crew, uh, including our extended interview with uh, David Simon. No adverts on there as well, and also basking in the glory,
1: they're helping out a lot of lovely people in Baltimore and the kids there. It's simple: if you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll up the feed now, and there's a button for you to click on, and it costs less than the price of a coffee every month to support lots of lovely people.
2: So Kima, um, the polygraph doesn't wash, but she kind of reads between the lines of this uh, of this. key suspect when and also it's kind of obvious when he says he was my relative and I wouldn't kill him which is fair enough. you know it is fair enough and and she believes him, so she goes back to the to the crime scene of the the braddock case the 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 witness case and does um an awesome police move which was reminiscent of the Mcnulty bunk Foxy. fox scene was not I, I, I thought yeah. so
1: I think this is just <laughs> chef's kiss beautiful yeah, absolutely beautiful. beautiful.
2: again not it's all visual it's all very easy to follow yeah you know it is very well told
1: it's kind of like the the fuck scene even though every iteration of the word fuck is used there's no other there was no other words being used really to say oh yeah looking over there because that's gonna that means the bullets come from over here yeah they're just communicated via almost like grunting and Kima, it's all it's like a silent movie she just pieces it together like that she sees the steps works it back and everyone's with her at that time
2: it's a brilliant scene yeah. I was about to suggest that Tom drop it in and then I realized the stupidity of doing that on a podcast
1: <laughs> drop in a silent scene <laughs> Tom
2: let's uh, let's watch that scene together why don't we <laughs> but then later but then later we do actually get a scene where she describes in detail what what, what happened happens, yeah. to to Norris for the uh, for the viewers who didn't pick it up so so yeah it was a bit it was Kind of, it was a tragic stray bullet from somebody casually shooting in their yard with a potato as a suppressor for target practice, right? Fucking idiot! It's America, man. <laughs> Got to.
11: Was revolutionary, Um and I think that's—I uh I hate to say it—but I think that's one of the reasons that HBO kind of like kept us at arm's length because uh, because it was a, a large. uh african-american cast
2: this is ernest dickerson a director on the wire
11: it wasn't the typical show and uh, and i remember hearing that a lot of executives at hbo had problems with it because it wasn't the kind of show you could just like tune in any moment any time and know exactly what was going on it was a it was it was a show that was like a book you know you had it was, and you know that had only previously been seen in the uk shows in english shows you know where you had a the serialized version of one story that goes on for an entire season—that was that was new in America. Now everybody's doing it, but The Wire was the first one to to have that serialized uh, storytelling, where you had to watch it from the beginning all the way through to know exactly what was going on. And so that, you know, made it problematical. I think that's one of the reasons why, even though now everybody considers it. One of the best shows ever made. It we never got a we never got award nominations. You know we never got Emmy nominations. Uh, we should have, but but you know the show was really kind of considered that show with all those all those black people on it. You know, so it's kind of like in the ghettos of television. Uh-oh. And uh, that's the way we were treated. Even to the point where, from one season to another, actors didn't know if the show was going to get picked up for another season. Um, Sonia Sohn and my wife became like they they still are tight, uh, really good friends. And I remember seeing Sonia, and she was doing auditions for other shows, and she was saying, "I got to do auditions. because I don't know if the wire is going to get picked up. I don't know if we're going back for another season." And she was kind of like in a panic situation. You know, she had to work. And then finally, or almost like the last minute. You know, you find out okay, the show's got picked up for another season. So it was almost like. It's almost like HBO was ashamed of us. You know, they were ashamed that this show with all these black people on it was so popular and was uh, pressing so many buttons. But still, you know, they they refused to put us up for awards. They refused to, to sell the show. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a show we were proud of, but HBO wasn't so proud.
1: So, like I said, guys um, at the top of the show, we said we're in a car and a ride along with Carcetti. And uh, out of interest, it'd be good to know if you ever actually believe that we're at the location we say we're at.
2: We are. Are you calling us a liar? Are you calling us a liar? I,
1: I know we're telling the truth. I just want to know <laughs> <if> the listeners... <laughs> we're in Baltimore right now. Exactly.
2: Driving a police car. Exactly. That's where we chose to record this podcast. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, so just if you believe us, let us know, social media or, you know... We do exactly also, what they do
2: in this show. <laughs> so Carquetti's going for ride-alongs, because uh, he's uh, he's checking in on the all, all the police, and he's um, he uh, gets involved in a, in a in he's called to a shooting uh, where he sees Daniels in action.
1: Daniel's being badass. Yeah. And this is reminiscent of the scene in the first episode where Rawls was a badass. Um, yes. Yeah. Because he just he just steps up and. Daniels is standing tall, just just owning the scene, just by, just by speaking on his phone. He's commanding the scene, telling yeah. exactly what to do.
2: He's like, he's like someone in the West Wing who just shouts off six, seven orders yeah. while walking around. Or someone in an ER like, saying, I
1: need these things before we get Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's exactly. that kind of thing. Just
2: like, off this, uh, I need a search perimeter around of a six block radius and uh, I think get me ECI down here, stat.
1: If you just stand in the corner speaking jargon, people are going to like, he knows something.
2: Yeah, that's why I have my job what what I get paid for speaking jargon <laughs> yeah 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 I just walk around saying jargon to <laughs> and the people like cockade yeah. just stand and go who's that guy
1: <laughs> um but I mean it's how
2: you get promoted
4: well absolutely as we'll see that's why we did the, the new show that's why we went back for six episodes on when we owned the city which is um I'm really useless to anybody who thinks you can adorn uh policy with a single we're seeing our slogan and win.
2: This is, of course, the man himself, David Simon, the creator of The Wire.
4: You can't be tough on crime. You can't be hard on drugs. You can't fill the prisons. You can't back the blue. You can't do any of those things and have police reform. Nor can you pretend that you can just park the radio cars and abolish the police or defund the police as an entity. And replace them with a uh, you know a cadre of social workers, you know. He, I'm sorry, not not in a country that is as um, fundamentally um, divided economically and and has uh, um, the vulnerabilities that you know is is well, by the way gun saturated as the United States, is, and expect um, uh, peace to break out because you've put. Well-meaning people on on the corners, without the powers of power of arrest or the power of subpoena, um, those phrases on either side—abolish uh, or defund or back the blue or thin blue line—are destructive. And 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 nobody who's spouting them is going to ever contribute to uh, to a actual reform. Somewhere between those two things uh, is the nature of what reform has to be, and I'm convinced after covering this stuff or uh, 20 years as a journalist, and then you know, after continuing to uh, to attend to it to make the television stuff shows, I'm convinced it's about um, it's about changing the mission, about uh, changing the police mission. Um,
1: at the top of the scene, obviously, we were talking last week about how Carcetti won the election, but he doesn't seem that happy about it. And he has a chat with one of the previous mayors and goes, "Mayor, why didn't you run again?" And the other mayor's like because it sucks it sucks <laughs> here's an analogy
2: <laughs> here's a story a which beautiful- is definitely real and happened <laughs> in which i ate piles and piles of human feces um yeah this is a kind of a it's a it's a fun uh it's a fun scene it's a fun little anecdote because mm. i think carcetti's on the hook like we are and we're like where's this story going and then as soon as he starts eating shit you realize it's just a big metaphor yeah um, Which I can
1: completely believe, and a fair one, I think. I would never want to be in that position.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and and that and it's totally, you know, that feels quite realistic of anybody in a. As soon as you get to a position where you're at that level of yeah. power, you all of all the problems end up rising up to you uh, to make a decision. With great way. power
1: comes great bureaucracy. Oh wow! Yeah, it's yeah.
2: beautiful. <laughs> did you just come on for that. <laughs> I did do, yeah, just. Uh, <laughs>
1: changed uncle ben's <laughs> quote from spider-man the guy from
2: the rice <laughs>
1: the rice guy yeah. yeah um and yeah maybe that's why maybe maybe deep down in his heart carcetti knows this that's why i wasn't that pleased about being elected mayor at the end of the day
2: yeah i think the one if it, i think he's wishing i he'd had that meeting uh yeah, beforehand
4: <laughs> beforehand i i actually met marty, marty o'malley uh at an ella thompson fundraiser and i i was the head beat uh the the uh, I I offered the most money to have lunch with him, uh, and I did. And and the reason I did that was a it was money for the charity, but B I had to break it to him that we were going to start on a new show called The Wire, and it, and and I had to say to him honestly, look, you know, you've had two Baltimore's had two bites of the apple with Homicide in the corner. If you want me to shoot this one somewhere else, I will. It could be any Rust Belt city. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. We we want the we want the film industry. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. Then after seeing one season of The Wire, Marty was like, get out of town. Weird story. But, um, but yeah, no, that, so it, yeah, I put Carchetti at that because Marty did graciously attend. So. Oh, you know what? I mean, we gave him some distance. We made Carchetti a town. You know, we did that on purpose. Um, but he, yeah, there were some elements that he clearly recognized as himself. Um, some of the rhetoric. I mean, we, I, you couldn't, have, yeah, we're writers. We use what's in front of us. You were the mayor. These are the things you did. You championed mass arrest, you championed the drug war. You know, I, I'm sorry, but you know, to this extent that's my critique, you're you know, some of the stuff you did is gonna feature. But I will tell you that I went to see the Pogues uh play in Washington at the nine thirty club. And uh my the guy I went with was uh Aiden Gillen, another abiding Pogues fan like myself. And we're standing there in the, you know, Streams of whiskey starts playing, and I look over and, uh, to see who's here at the at the next chair over. And damn, the fit is Marty and I had the great joy and pleasure of introducing you to Aiden Gill, and uh, that was the coldest handshake—the coldest handshake you've ever seen. Hey,
3: tell like, a good story about a, a silver or gold or some very you know grand bowl of shit. Yeah.
2: You're listening, of course, to the man that brought Carcetti to life. This is Irish actor Aidan Gillen.
3: I remember being surprised. I remember being surprised by it because, uh, I think, generally you got your scripts. You know, sometimes you'd get it. You know, a couple of days before or whatever. It wasn't ever too far in advance. And in, in, in advance, and it was maybe that one. You know, I just got it the day before. It wasn't until we were actually sh- until we were shooting the scene and the guy was telling me the story. Um, t- was I really fully comprehending what, uh, you know, the life of a, an elected representative may in fact, you know, be when you get to where you think you want to be. Um, and it was a, a kind of a, a, a revelation, not just in, you know, storytelling terms or character terms, but just for me generally in my understanding of politics, because the way he told it and the way it was written was so, uh, truthful that I, it was a, a, a very Pivotal moment, I thought for for um, I certainly it's, it certainly is one I, I remember, and it, and one as a you know great realization to him it's that like your job is now dealing with you know everyone's shit basically.
12: Let me tell you a story, Tommy. The first day I became mayor, they sent me down at the desk. Big chair, dark wood, lots of beautiful things. I'm thinking, how much better can it get? There's a knock at the door in the corner of the room, and Pete comes walking in carrying this gorgeous sea silver bowl, hand chased. It was this big. It's from the unions, he says. So I think it's a present, something to commemorate my first day as mayor. He walks over, puts it on a desk. I look down at it, it's disgusting. I say, what the hell is this? He says, what the hell does it look like? I said, it looks like shit. <laughs> well, what do you want me to do with it? He says, eat it. Eat it? He says, yeah. You're the mayor. you got to eat it. So, OK. It was my first day, Pete knows more than I do. So I go at it. And just when I finish, there's a knock on the door. And in walks Pete carrying another silver bowl, And this one's from the Blacks. This too? And he nods. I start eating. And when I'm finished, there's another knock and another ball. This one's from the Pollards. Then after that, one from the Ministers. And you know what, Tommy? That's what it is. You're sitting eating shit all day long, day after day, year after year. When I realized that, I decided being a downtown lawyer and seeing my family every night made for a fine life.
2: We also get this nice scene with, um, um, you know, speaking of people being miserable going into the job, <laughs> Royce is he's very happy coming out of the job, right? He yeah. Got this nice little scene of the two of them, which I quite enjoyed how amicable they were. Um, well,
1: yeah, I guess why be why be a bastard about it.
2: Yeah, but it shows a, it shows a decent level of professionalism. Yeah. It, it also reminds us as viewers that these guys are peers, mm-hmm. right? That they are not they're playing games that are affecting every other character we know down to the street level. Um but they're not really enemies these two. They're just one kind of one and the same. It's yeah, yeah. one and they they represent kind of the same system and whatever changes Carchetti is promising or making they're not nothing monumental or they're not they're not the kind of revolution that Bunny is trying for right? no yeah
1: it's just the next cog in the wheel exactly um
2: it's a reminder of that that like we have a new mayor in Baltimore but they're kind of pals <laughs> they're all from, <laughs> from the same cloth right
1: well it was quite yeah it was kind of vicious obviously like with the slumlord thing but that's all that's part, oh, it's part of the game I do
2: they're just laughing about it now it's up but it's as you said it's it's a game it's yeah. a, the whole election was a game they're playing games with each other they're sh- th- smearing throwing like uh leaks and information going about it's all a big game
1: um you know as part of carcetti's tour of the tour of baltimore um we, we go back into Comstat for the first time since last season.
2: Yeah, missed miss these meetings. Oh. Yeah. But we don't see any, you know, we don't get don't any sh- Rawls or Burrell no, in full swing. Out. No, because Daniels is up there and he knows his shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's brilliant. And Carquetti catches him. Carcetti's
1: um, swooning over Daniels. He really point.
2: is. Two Daniels moments he's seen yeah. uh, where the man knows what he's talking about. Uh, and Burrell looks really bad as well. Like yeah, he's already in the bad books.
1: It, it was. Yeah it was really dark because Carquette is about sitting next to Burrell and he's like no I don't want to sit next to you I hate you I'm going to sit next to my boy Rawls over yeah. there and I thought that looked it almost looks a bit pathetic um, but at the same it's time a bit high school it was it? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burrell knows he's, on, he's, in, he's in the in the black books at the
0: moment yeah that book volume you know this is the voice of Nathan Corbett who played Donut like I think that's what volumes on him. I love Daniel. Everything to me, everything that he says is funny to me. Uh everything that he says is funny to me. And he's so stern when he. Lance Reddick is so stern when he speaks. But it's just like it's almost like it's almost like he's so serious that it goes past the serious meter back to funny. Right, it's almost like you're so scared when he talks that like you have nothing. You, it's almost like thunder cracking. Like when that man is digging in you that's one person you don't want digging in your shit. Like the like his children, you know. Like I would not like to have not cleaned up my room and have Lance Reddick come in and fuss me out because my room is fucking a mess. Like you know what I mean. Like that shit, I I would not want. I would not want that. I love Lance Reddick. Um. But, yeah, I think that that is to be uh, mentioned how Burrell didn't, you know, he didn't really try to down another brother for him to come up, right? And we see a lot of that, right? We see a lot of um, people pulling each other down just to climb ranks and to save themselves, right? And and we didn't see that, and we didn't see that there. And I think that that that's pretty, that's pretty cool, you know, because, and I think some people would have, um, took him the way out and had him do something to it, you know, and that's kind of predictable, right? Because we expected it, right? We didn't know, but it was like, huh? You know, you just kind of knew something was going to happen. He might've did something, right? And so we expected it that it's predictable and they didn't, it, it didn't happen, right? And I, I always love that about, about film and television.
5: Kobe and Dave, lovely to hear your dulcet tones again. Welcome back. Uh, Brendan here, Wire super fan. I must have watched it 15 times at least. I think season four is so special because it's almost a prequel to the entire series. You know, you, you see this play out, with the exception of Naaman, you see who's going to turn into who. You know, the, the roles that are laid out for those children are unchangeable and it's what's so heartbreaking. And in the other series, it's all cops and robbers, you know, it's all big time drug pushers and, you know, the dock workers. And all. It's, it's alien to us, but I think why season four really hits hard is because you can relate to the kids that are just destined to be who they're going to be, and there's very little you can do to change it. And we've probably all known people, maybe obviously not in the Baltimore slums, but we've all known people when you see them in difficult families and stuff and you think, You just know how that's turning out and it's only going to play out one way. Anyway, uh, welcome back, boys. Thank you very much for
2: sending in that burner message. If you want to drop us some audio on our burner phone, head to at the wire stripped uh, on any of our social channels and you'll see the the number for our our burner phone there and you can just send it via WhatsApp or you can just send it uh, as an audio file to burner at thewirestripped.com
1: we have a patreon account we can find us we are patreon.com forward slash the wire we'll go to patreon.com and search for the wire Stripped. and the reason is we have a fair few perks and one of them is you get priority burner access you see the segue there for the burner to talking about the patron oh seamless Uh, seamless absolutely um and we have a few other perks uh dave do you want to tell them about the other perks
2: Yeah, so you can get uh, early access to our episodes, so you get to hear them a week before everybody else. Uh, You also get uh, the full-length interviews that we do uh, with the cast and crew, and we're going to be posting a different one every month. Uh, And for upcoming interviews that we do, uh, we will be taking questions uh, from people in the Patreon and submitting them to the cast and crew members directly. Yes, absolutely.
1: And all of the money, that's 100% of the money that we... Um, get from the patron goes to supporting the Ella Thompson Fund, which is a charity supported by the cast and the crew of The Wire.
2: Yeah, and it's an amazing charity. They basically uh, provide recreational opportunities to to children in Baltimore's neighbourhoods that that need it most. Finally, because things are shifting around,
1: um, Rhonda Perlman, who previously was like pissed off at, at freeman for for trying to list all these subpoenas um right at the time of the election actually gets rewarded for it and getting promotion yeah
2: i like this idea that you know maybe you can make it you know maybe you can try and make a difference and ruffle some feathers yeah. and be rewarded for it yeah it doesn't always work mcnulty in the boat <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it depends on who's
2: looking on looking on the, on with it. because
1: if you're in a daniel's ronda relationship if you're doing the right thing. You both get rewarded. Maybe no one else in the Y gets rewarded for doing good stuff. Yeah, like, yeah,
2: that. yeah. sometimes it's sometimes it's just an element of luck as mm. well. Yeah. I think the election fell and is falling in both of their favors. Yeah, absolutely. So we get a quick just one check in with Marlon in, in, in this episode. Um and him and I'm really enjoying him and Prop Joe's burgeoning relationship.
1: I'm just loving Prop Joe massively yeah he's so good in this
2: he's season such, isn't he he's such
1: an amazing guy it's his, his glasses the way they perch, the way he just knows things he never raises his voice He just commands respect not really from Marlowe. Marlow's still kind of sounding him out of field but yeah but, you know, but he's he, wise he's wise and i think the fact that Marlowe is getting his counsel shows that he knows there's something about this guy yeah, and his counsel in this case is like steal the camera. <laughs> it's such a good
2: move, yeah. right? So he's like steal, steal the camera. If nobody comes, it's the FBI. Yeah. If they come knocking, then you know it's the locals, and then we'll deal with it. Yeah, exactly.
1: And yeah, brilliant.
6: <laughs> it was a super connection, and um, also my recipes to prop Joe. You know me, Robert Chu. That was um. He was also a teacher of mine. Uh, we used to do study, and um, he used to. Like show me how to backhand read it. Like he was like, don't go into it this way. Try to go into it this way. Always make sure your facial expressions are kind of like on point, because they're casting people picky. I just learned so much from him.
2: You're listening to Anwan Glover, who played Slim Charles.
6: When we actually would get on set before we had run our lines, we had talk about it, and he was actually he had a, a awesome eye. Every like this, so we are gonna be in the TV shop today, and one, I think they're gonna probably come here. You get your POV here. You come and they come across here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I'm learning on the fly. But there's like, you know, and he just was this brilliant because he spoke all these different languages. He taught the kids as well, and he was just this guy that always had something like to say. He never was that one to just sit quietly. He looked like this guy, that character, but he always was to you. And I learned so much from him, and it was just like we were, in that character. But when the, when they say cut, he was this smart guy, because he was super smart on the show, and he was super smart in person. The fact he's lost the camera and
1: Marimo is the boss, rightly so. Herc is scared; that he's going to you know, lose
2: his job. Yeah. So he does what he always does and goes to Guess the smart part of his duo, <laughs> Carver, to look for advice. And Carver then sort of offhandedly remembers um, Randy and thinks Randy might be able to um, help him yeah. uh, cr- uh, with a lead. Um, and then I love this. This is an interesting little moment here where Carver realizes that he forgot to phone uh, Bunk mm. about the lead on the Lex case. Yep. Um and then he leaves a message and, uh, is it crutchfield um the who's yeah, angry yeah. at bunk for for um for taking for for <laughs> for, t- for trying <laughs> to, to do the up right his thing yeah. yeah he's angry at bunk throws the message away so i think this is such an in- it's two interesting moments where you realize how fallible mm. um bureauc- bureaucracy is um where you've got a crucial bit of information That could solve a murder that, in the first instance, was just absentmindedly forgotten to be passed on by somebody who is a good police officer, but is probably just overworked. And uh, and in the second instance, was actively thrown away (laughs) by a police officer for some petty for for some petty reason because his one of his colleagues was trying to unsolve his murder correctly. Right? It's frustrating. For fuck's sake.
1: What does he say? Fuck bunk as he
2: as he screws at yeah, the fuck piece of bunk. Pa- <laughs> screws yeah. up the piece of paper. No, you're not fucking bunk. You're fucking, you know, this Lex's unsolved mystery. Yeah. But Herc, um interrogates Randy. I will describe it as that very much. It starts what's what's interesting is watching his process where he starts. Very friendly and casual, as he was told with, by Carve. You know, mm-hmm. he's a good kid. Yeah. You know, so say, hey, you hungry? You want some food? And then we see Randy chowing down excitedly on a load of, you know, Maccy D's or something or KFC. Um, excitedly telling his his story, just completely spilling the beans. But it's not the story Herc wants, is it? He realizes this is secondhand information. Some guy, little, some guy called Kev. Little Kevin. Little Kev. Um, is is the real one he wants. Uh and then he's just starts screaming at Randy which is really awful, yeah, you that's know, just, just trying rules. you were there just trying to coerce him like just he's trying to he's trying to like manifest what he wants.
1: I in feel, his child. I feel I just kind of want Carver to have been there as well so he can say Herc what the fuck are you doing. Yeah. Or someone someone sensible, a grown-up. I don't want a grown-up there cuz this is Herc is a child. He's a man child. Yeah, he really is. Screaming at his kid. What? Cutty Carver Daniels. Keep someone there to like tell Herc to stop me. Take him out of the room. An idiot.
2: Sidner is an interesting one in here because Sidner is not a fan of this approach, but he is also kind of along for the for Herc's mm. ride, isn't he? He's not. He never really. You know, Sidner never really like stands up.
1: To Herc at this point Tank,
2: or anyone else. Um, yeah, I'm just, just. Hark does have some great lines in this episode. Though I wrote down a couple of them. I love when he's talking to Carver, and he says, eh, "You know, you're enabling. You're. I'm not going to enable you." And he says, "Enable me to find my fucking camera." <laughs> <laughs> and I love when he like, "What do you have?" Uh, Carver asks him straight up like what do you know about this Marlow guy right Carver being like hey I'm a real police officer now I know things about yeah. people what do you know about this Marlow guy maybe I can help you well I know he's a drug dealer I can't prove it or nothing <laughs> but I know <laughs> and it's just a, this just sums up how polarizing these their, their approaches have become
1: and it's interesting and it's going back to early seasons where we know who the other people are but we don't know who, if they know who the other people are yeah, exactly. And
2: yeah, at one, at one stage they only had a pic. They didn't even have a picture of Barksdale. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: they just knew knew him on the yeah. on the grapevine. And Bark knows
2: that he's a drug
11: dealer.
1: He <laughs> doesn't know how. <laughs> he just knows it.
10: He was interviewing Kevin, and that's where her it slip that Randy is the, uh, the 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 witness. And I I think that you know to the extent that this is representative, I, I will say this. Um, what what is significant across the board is a lack of appreciation for the vulnerability of children in the in the legal system and particularly children as witnesses.
2: This is the voice of Kristen Henning. She's the director of the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative and she also wrote the book Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth.
10: Failing to understand all that we now know about the adolescent brain and the features, the key features of adolescence, which include sort of impulsivity, um, peer influence, lack of experience, sort of an, um, a lack of appreciation of the long-term consequences of their choices. So, and I think police officers, you know, when that series was running um, and and still today just aren't adequately trained in how to work with young people. Um, and and a failure to appreciate just how toxic and how violent it would be for Randy for for um, them to let it slip that Randy was that was that witness, and that to me is shocking, given how deeply embedded those police officers Carver, Herc, all of them are in those communities. Right? You know. What the consequences are so it leads you then to believe either that they're just ignorant not paying attention or that they don't care um or they care more about their agenda right which is making these arrests these low-level arrests um was more important to them than protecting um the child and to protecting his innocence and his and his um prospect for the future
1: let's quickly stop by cutty um he's been looking for spider who's one of his main main boxers yeah and he's finally found him yeah and spider tries to walk away cut him and let him and spider then just said look you've been you've been screwing my mum i don't like it i don't like boxing that much because you've been screwing my mum so um you know he says it less eloquently than i did And I did <laughs> yeah. it eloquently It's beautiful <laughs> you you put it
2: in such a lovely way i did do
1: the um, i thought i'd turn it down a bit
2: yeah Cuddy <laughs> Cuddy realizes that you know maybe sleeping with all of his students' mothers might not have been the best approach. Do you think so? Yeah. So he (laughs) kind of apologizes to them in a a weird way. (laughs) Guys. I'm sorry. You're all getting really sensitive about me sleeping with all your mothers, all right? So I better lay off that for a while. Yeah. And he says something like, to be
1: fair, I've been in prison for a while, so I haven't had any. I'm just catching up. (laughs) But I get it. I get it. It's your mom's and I'll stop doing that
2: let's just chill back to the boxing
1: but it's because I've been away for a while and I've not had any but I, yeah I'll stop and now he's had too much I'll, yeah you've had too much now
2: he's ODing
1: um, whilst we're with the, the with the younglings let's go back to the school Um, and we get some we get some I love it when Prez he just gets a smile he sees the kids playing poker he's like guys don't gamble uh, and he observes the games like you know. There's there's ways there's odds here. There's, there's maths. Yeah. There's puzzle solving. Can, <laughs> yeah, maths, I, I can, guys. I, maths. Yeah, I, I found some maths it. here. And Michael's like, well, we don't really play poker all the time. This, we're just playing for pistachios here. But we play dice. And uh, yeah, I could teach. I could teach you dice. It's all about odds and numbers. And there's maths everywhere. It's brilliant. And it takes. It goes down. Takes Dookie to the to the bookstore. Finds a load of new books. Which is first of all, it's like.
2: No, he takes him downstairs to the basement. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. well,
1: not bookstore. Sorry. Yeah, 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 he takes him downstairs to the basement, which where all the books are, um, to, to find, find the old board, board games, games yeah. and to find just anything with dice in it, so they can use it for, for to so so Prez can teach the kids how to gamble better because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't realize what's he, what he's doing, yeah. um, and then finds yeah. a computer. And find some old books. Yeah. F- finds the new books, the new versions of the books that they've been teaching. Uh, but finds a computer and it's like no fucking way. Um, and this is we get. He hands a computer over to Dookie, which I, which I love.
2: And this, this to me, yeah, yeah, it's just his face, his little face, yeah. just lights up behind that computer. He
1: presses on. Yeah. Clippy steps up. from Microsoft. <laughs> <again>. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you want to learn how to gamble better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you want me to teach you
1: odds? Um, sorry.
2: <laughs> what I loved what I loved about this was that, that this felt like the um the a bit like that um carve not passing the information to bunk and these things the information, things things getting lost to bureaucracy. Mm. This feels like this all this like treasure trove of stuff just sitting in the basement because because what?
8: Because, because probably, ineptitude or in a, yeah. I, I don't know. It's
1: it's, it's laissez faire.
2: Or the curriculum changed, or some uh, the the books were out of print because of X, Y, Z. You mm-hmm. just feel like there could have been a number of things that would have impacted why these, you know, why all this stuff never made it upstairs to the classrooms.
1: I, I think it's just indicative of the situation they're in. They almost feel hopeless. That they, yeah. they think, why should we bother setting up a computer? Why should we bother giving the most recent textbooks? That's, that's just probably where they're at in their heads. Yeah.
13: Jim was really the, the impetus for season four because he got shot out to cannon first with his, you know, incident. And then wound up in the schools.
2: This is the man that brought Bunny Colvin to life. It's Robert Wisdom.
13: And so that was, that tied us in. And then there was, there was so much, I mean, again, another brilliant performance, you know, where a good heart wasn't enough, you know, um, the system was going to chew you up, you know, one leg at a time, every day. So that that became kind of a, a mirror. We had two mirror worlds: the the uh, prez working with the kids in the classrooms and the system, and me working with those uh, special needs kids, you know, um, as an experiment. Name enough to previous episode
1: <laughs> trying to step up setting his own crew up um obviously we've not grown up around the drug game but I just don't Naaman and Kennard <laughs> and Albert yeah um <laughs> it's no they're and, not a very and, intimidating and crew yeah, I, I just don't yeah I don't have they're, much they're,
2: they're children yeah and then they're they're facing off against this other corner mm-hmm. um and they're kind of just not much older, almost. I mean, yeah. That's what's tragic about this. And they, um, the other corner uh, decides to sort of send a message. So you get this moment where these two, essentially, like, just slightly older boy, well, Sh- boys. Well, Sherrod's one of them. Bubbles guy. Oh, yeah, Sherrod's one
1: of them. Yeah, B- Bubbles. Bubble Bubbles, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Bubbles. So Sherrod's the one that, that, that attacks Namond Yeah. Um, and just outside cutty's gym, and again, cutty like, steps up, stops the fight and you could just see that like Sherrod's wired on something yeah high on I don't know what I think it was Coke some, they were doing uh, it uh, was Coke they were doing and um it's just like fuck but neither uh, anything, neither
2: of them want to be in that situation no, that's what's not at interesting all. right it's just this fight that kind of has to happen because of the rules because <laughs> of the game because corners so it's just like the it's it, it's two boys who in any other environment would probably be thriving yeah um who have just ended up railroaded into this situation um and they're not it's just a kind of a half-hearted fight anyway isn't it
1: yeah it was just, i mean most fights are shit most fights like that are pathetic but we've seen obviously the sort of episode where um obviously the start of some episodes where what well, people get killed people get stabbed in between the legs which is horrible but in this case the fight was it looked like neither of them wanted to be doing this yeah and um, Cuddy
2: knows how to stop a fight. He yeah. knows how to start fights, and he knows, <laughs> he knows how to stop, stop them. Um, and I think he gives Naaman some good advice here. Mm. You know,
1: Well, I said, well, like, that kid's high. You don't know what's going to yeah, jump off. Anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen there. Um, and we got, obviously staying with Naaman quite a bit in this episode, um, we see him, Naaman, and the other guys in in Bunny's separate class. Naaman's properly acting up here. More so than then we'd we've got to know him in a bit over the past few episodes haven't we and this isn't really his style he he takes the piss out of people but he doesn't seem to be sweary well, he's and angry here, yeah yeah but we find out that he's, you know he's trying to act it more so he can go out on the on the streets so he can so he can to get be suspended. suspended yeah he's got a job to do yeah he's got a job to do <laughs> yeah. and they would not suspend him he's like what and he pulls such a like sour face i've never it looked like he was about to cry yeah it
14: was interesting man those kids It's it just shows right like where you what type of environment you're in, even with Naaman living in Baltimore and living in the midst of the chaos, he didn't know the world.
2: This is, of course, the one and only Naaman, played brilliantly by Julito McCullum.
14: And there's some kids who the world, they don't have to leave their home to experience the drug world. It's right in their home. Like Tolisso's character, Canard, those, their experiences are in their back. Backyards. Nathan didn't have that, man. Namek had to leave his house to know what the what was going on in the streets. Right as you can see, his his world was completely different from everyone else's, and that showed you very early on that he wasn't built for that. And I think it's not a bad thing. I think when we you know when people watch it, they're invested, so they're trying to they want these kids to be like the Avons and the WeeBays and the Stringers, but they don't realize. He was 14 and maybe it was okay that he did not He wasn't cut from that cloth because as we see sometimes, man, the only out is either dead or in jail. Um, So maybe it's okay that he didn't know that world. You know what I mean? And and what was interesting is that we also were growing up on the show, right? So it it took a year to shoot. And if you can see, we would like Randy went through puberty throughout the show. (laughs) Uh, So no, but yeah, there was no discussion around us split in ways and going our own directions at all, man. Um, it was really it just happened organically. Um, and there would just be days where I would notice, oh, I'm more set by myself today. Where's the fellas? You know, and it was uh, bittersweet, sweet, but it was needed, right? We needed to at a point kind of drift away so that these worlds could take on a um, to can go on their own. And it's it's it was it's just some of the saddest bit of TV I've probably ever seen. That you watch these kids, kind of the world, kind of take everything they they have and change them in such huge ways. Um, and it was is it's heart It's heartbreaking, man. It's heartbreaking.
2: I like it because it's like he. It that that's the rule. The rules have changed. Yeah. Right. And this episode is all about rules. I realize it's like and it's um the epigraph is from bunk you know it's about that golden rule oh yeah that golden rule and uh (laughs) you know this is all about the game the game's got rules but the uh you know omar talks about rules he's all about rules you gotta have a code you know prez is um um breaking the rules yeah um by getting textbooks exactly (laughs) Uh, he's using board games which have rules um bunny's making up his own rules as always Uh, you got Cutty apologizing Mm -hmm. for breaking the rules um, by sleeping with everyone's mom. Um, And then there's a moment, maybe if we'll finish out the episode with Bubbles, where he gets punished for trying to abide by the rules, you know, and call the the police um, to help him, to help protect him when he's being attacked, right?
1: Well, that's it. I mean, Bubbles is, again, one of the just want to put a nice warm blanket around the guy and keep him away from any drugs which he's doing himself actually he, he, he seems to be keeping clean here he, he does seem to be clean in this
2: season yeah. doesn't he yeah
1: um but some fucking idiot on the street is giving him shit and that's unacceptable yeah. that's that's the most unacceptable thing in this whole season oh no there's props some other horrible things going on but the, this guy attacking you bubbles you don't beat up on bubbles not at all yeah that's still there's still like a black mark against Herc. Detective Holly for beating this bubbles. He's just like he's such a good guy. He's yeah, just, ah, he's not had the chances. Well, he's you know he took the wrong he took the wrong choices. He's had the chances, but he's taken the wrong choices because heroin is Moorish, basically. You heard <laughs> it here first. <laughs> um, and he's getting attacked by this guy who's stealing his his like. Well, Bubbles Depot's taking, taking
2: his money. He's taking some DVDs, taking his bootlegs. Yeah, and I love his description. By the way, when he's trying to sell the bootlegs, he's like, "None of that, none of this shaky cam stuff. <laughs> none of this guys. Down. Do you remember that? Do you remember those bootleg movies from where, back you, in the day where, where it'd be people like would so, someone at the back of a theater with a camcorder? I
1: watched The Phantom Menace that way the first time. Well, what's what's that half of it? Oh wow! And it was shit. And I was like, this "Of course, is. it was shit." Well, I mean, <laughs> it turns out that maybe there's a few reasons why it was shit. Um, it's not a good film. No, <laughs> I see what you mean. But you know, it just it looked terrible. I couldn't really hear anything. Yeah. But we were all like, Oh my god, it's a new fucking Star Wars film. Um we got it. And it's and, on Windows ninety eight. <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrible. Yeah, but I remember that. It was like genuinely a thing. Yeah. It was never good though, was it?
2: No, it was a terrible experience. <laughs> I don't miss piracy. <laughs>
1: Dave, I don't miss piracy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what you can tell how how bubbles you can tell how bubbles is kind of struggling with this because he actually flags down a police officer. Mm. He sees the, sees the car going past, and I know he's in with Kima and the guys from the MCU. But you still don't really, you know, the impression I get is you don't call the police on someone. Yeah, really, you, you, that just doesn't happen.
2: That's the vibe on the streets. Yeah, yeah.
1: but he's obviously feeling that. He's kind of boxed in that he, all he can do is call this guy out, and unfortunately, the person that gets out of the car is Officer Walker, who's a bigger dick than the person who's like giving bubbles shit.
2: It's the worst. Poor bubbles gets beaten up and then robbed. Yeah, by a police officer in this episode. I mean, that's a hopeless situation. Like, there's no. This is the thing. It's like the rules of the rules that are supposed to exist in society. Mm aren't working no right they're not working for bubbles and so what he, he's living in a lawless a completely lawless society
1: why is walker doing this it must just be a purely power power plague. trip yeah
2: yeah he's just getting off on it
1: absolutely he's just gonna get stop at the next red light and throw them out of the car yeah. i reckon um
2: i think the police force can attract people like walker who are in it for the wrong reasons mm. right it was just looking for a trip yeah absolutely yeah.
0: Officer Walker was just a bad person. You don't rob a homeless man, like, that just got robbed. Like what type of like that's a different type of wicked tree. That's a different type of darkness that a person is living in to be able to say, I'm gonna be the guy. I'm gonna present myself as the guy that protects people. So you're most vulnerable when you're approaching him. And so now, what he is doing is preying on you in your most vulnerable need, In your most vulnerable moment, right? He's not just... It wasn't just a guy that was just walking by. He was like, oh, give me... No, it was a guy who needed help. Right? The man didn't just need nothing. He needed help. And you he took advantage and he robbed that man. You were with your man. That's different.
9: It was beautiful, man. It was beautiful, you know? And then uh, developing those relationships off camera with Andre and um he's telling me like listen just go for it you know i'm 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 I, you know i'm already here i'm, I'm four season in i need you to be i need you to go for it and i'm gonna give it to you so him giving me the green light and him really rocking with me and supporting me in that space me being a young actor at the time like very very young um uh, i took it i took the green light you know what i'm saying because We all wanted each other to grow only because, not only because, but one of the main reasons, this was an all-black show. You know what I'm saying? And it was on HBO. So, you know, a lot of times we didn't know if HBO was going to release the budget for the next season, or the next season. After the first season, the second season wasn't going to come back. They was going to cut the show because the viewership was so low. But David Simon and Ed Burns, they fought. They fought the released that budget, and they wrote for five episodes, five seasons, you know? So with that being said, we wanted to support each other. We wanted to let, the, we knew there was a bigger purpose. And look, it's, it, it helped many, many actors. Idris, and you know, it helped Andre, it helped me, it helped uh, Tristan, it helped everybody who lead, though, like everybody got a got a, a fair chance of growing and, and springboarding from the wire. Um, even though we ain't get no awards, you know, based on the temperature and the texture of, of the academy, but we knew what we did. You know, we knew the impact that we had. And, and look, it's 10 years later, and we're still moving. You know what I mean? The the Like, the Sopranos, they get this. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like we made an impact for, like, a real one with real people. You know what I'm saying? So we're proud of it. We had to uh, keep that camaraderie going
2: okay that's it for us this week we'll be back next week to talk about season three episode eight of the wire it's called moral midgetry which is a lot of fun to say yeah
1: and between now and then you can of course contact us guys we are burner at the wire uh, that's that's what our email address um please do follow us on twitter and instagram in particular we are both at the wire stripped on those channels
2: Yes, uh, so as always, a huge thank you to Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast who recorded the cover of Way Down in the Hole that you're listening to right now. Thanks to Simon Devereaux, aka Deb's Noodles, D E V Z Noodles, uh, on
1: Instagram uh, for the artwork for this season.
2: A huge thank you, as always, to Obi Joshua uh, for uh, his production support, research, and uh, basically getting us all together and whipping us into shape.
1: Yeah, thanks for the whipping there, Obi. has been uh, it's been it's been
2: inspiring. And uh, as always, uh, finishing out our fearless uh, producer leader, Mr. Tom Wally, T-Bone himself, series producer, editor and parent extraordinaire. (laughs) And shed dweller. Uh, Yeah, he lives in a shed, guys. (laughs) Why not not know that about him? I mean, he has a house as well, but I think he mostly lives in his shed making podcasts.
1: Well, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. See you next episode. See you next Bye. week.
2: Producer Tom here, I don't normally make such a late entrance to the podcast, but I used to work in a shed and it was it was very nice but it was full of spiders. I've got a studio now. It's a studio guys. Moving up in the world.
5: You just heard a stripped media production.